welcome to an episode, a new episode, a new episode of Source Material. I am your host, Jesse Starcher, and I am back in the hosting chair, slowly making my way back. And uh, this evening, we actually get to talk about something very near and dear to my heart, and that is Back to the Future. All right. Now, I've talked about Back to the Future on this podcast before. I had collected like the first few IDW comics. Actually, I collected the whole run, but we only talked about the first few here on the podcast. I think it was the first four issues of the Back to the Future comic uh, that was from IDW. Then, I don't know, I want to say it was like, well, I know it was 2020 for sure, but maybe a little bit before that, I saw this picture running around the internet of a DeLorean that happened to transform into an, an Autobot named Gigawatt. I was immediately smitten. I immediately wanted to plunk down some cash if I could ever find it. Never could find it. But then I think shortly thereafter, it was announced. I don't know which came first, but I know that there was a series that was announced of Transformers and Back to the Future crossing over in the IDW comics. So that definitely was going to get onto the schedule. Now, I know Mark Radulich had this planned out a while back. I was absolutely going to get in on this crossover and talk about it on this podcast come hell or high water, no matter how essential I was, I was going to be making my podcast in order to talk about Back to the Future. So we knew of one person that runs in our Rattelich and Broadcasting circle every once in a while that has talked Transformers plenty of times on these podcasts, and that is one Cole Marantet. Cole Marantet, welcome to the sh- welcome back to the show, man. It's good to talk to you. Are you ready to talk some Transformers and Back to the Future tonight? Jesse, like I said to Mark the other night, I have feelings about this property. <laughs> feelings. I understand, sir. I absolutely understand. Uh, let's just get this out of the way. Were you excited when you saw that this was going to be a crossover that was going to happen in comics? Back to the Future, Transformers. Were you pumped for it? I am going to break your heart right now. <laughs> I have never seen Back to the Future 2 or 3. I own oh, them. Really? I own them. I have the Blu-ray 3-pack, but I've only ever seen the first Back to the Future. No kidding. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's going to be interesting because I will be pointing out some things that happened in, obviously, you're going to point things out to me that the Transformers probably are referencing that I have no clue about. And I know for a fact there's two or three references that happen in this comic book that uh, they are part of the sequels to Back to the Future. That's cool. I mean, that's all right. Did you like Back to the Future 1? You didn't like say I hate this movie and I don't want to watch the sequels, did you? No, no, I like it fine. I mean, I don't I don't hate it. I just never got around to watching the other ones. I, I guess let's talk about the Transformers real quick. And I want you to just do your absolute basic casual introduction to who the Transformers are. You know, you're talking to somebody who's never, I, I know about them, but I just pretend you're talking to somebody that has no idea who the Transformers are. Give them an idea who the Autobots, the Decepticons, Cybertron, give them an idea of what that property is and, and what to kind of expect. All right, I'll do my best. Millions of years ago, 
ago on a planet known as Cybertron, which is completely mechanical with no organic life. Two different groups of robots, the heroic Autobots and the villainous Decepticons, began a war. That war has reached across the stars to Earth in the modern day of 1984, Mm -hmm. and the heroic Autobots now fight for both the reconstruction of Cybertron and to protect humanity from the villainous Decepticons. I'll go ahead and put on uh, I'll, I'll put on my graduation cap here and explain to people Back to the Future. Uh, so Back to the Future, that movie, if you've not seen the movie, centers around a young teenager by the name of Marty McFly who befriends a uh, a wild a crazy wild-eyed scientist by the name of Doc Brown. Doc Brown invents a time machine. Plot happens. Marty McFly ends up back in 1955 to try and fix something that he broke in time, which is his parents uh, not falling in love. So he has to make them fall in love again. And of course, get back to 1985, back to the future that, oh, by the way, the time machine is a DeLorean. Okay. (laughs) So there, there's that Uh, you have the DeLorean, you have Doc Brown, you have Marty McFly, Marty's parents, and the, the antagonist throughout most of the films is a version of Biff Tannen or Griff Tannen or Mad Dog Buford Tannen. Uh, But regardless, you'll see a version of Biff Tannen throughout most of the film. So that's your antagonist that you usually run into, the guy that's always given Marty McFly a hard time. Well, the McFly's a hard time. So that is kind of back to the future in a nutshell. So now what IDW has done here in 2020 is bring these two properties together. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to go issue by issue. There's only four. Uh, We're going to go issue by issue. We're going to break them down and just kind of throw some talking points out there and have a good time talking about our favorite property. So you ready, Cole? Are you ready to do this? I am ready to do this. All right, man. Uh, Creative team, first off. Written by, I'm going to go with uh, Kaven. I doubt that's how you pronounce it. It's either Kaven or Kavan. Scott. Art by Juan Samu. Colors by David Garcia Cruz. And I think the last issue may actually have some help by Candace Hahn as well for colors there. And then letters by Neil Uataki. Wiki says this went on sale October 7th of 2020, first issue, and wrapped up May 12th of 2021. So pretty recently. And the trade's supposed to drop here pretty soon as well. That synopsis is coming up, but first let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number 2M Network, for that free 30-day trial. Issue 1. Decepticons. Now, you step in, Cole, if I mess anything up, because I'm, I've tried to keep my names of the Autobots and Decepticons straight as best as I could. Uh, and uh, I want to make sure I got them right in the synopsis. But we got Decepticons, Rumble and Ravage. Am I right there? You are correct. OK. They're attempting to find ways to defeat the Autobots, but have happened upon the events of the first Back to the Future film as Marty races across the Twin Pines Mall parking lot to escape the Libyans who are after him. And just as Marty hits 88 miles per hour and is transported to 1955, the Decepticons learn that time travel is just the weapon they can use against the Autobots to try and defeat them. When Rumble follows Doc and Marty back to Lion Estates, Rumble plans on attacking, but Bumblebee arrives trying to stop them. 
Prime tells Bumblebee he must stop them as humanity must not know of the Cybertronian existence on Earth. I've got questions about that, but I, I'm, I'm, I, I, Prime is definitely like, we don't want humans to know we're here. Um, distracting Doc and Marty, only momentarily, events go back to normal as Doc jumps in the DeLorean and heads to the year 2015. So if you remember the end of the first, the first movie, Doc is heading 30 years into the future and he heads to the year 2015, while Marty heads off to bed. Awakened by his parents the next morning, Marty discovers his world is not the same as he has left it. Hill Valley and humanity work as slaves to the Decepticons, and one of their dedicated servants is none other than Biff Tannen, or Coordinator Tannen, who has been put in place to keep the slaves in line, loading Energon. Marty gets into some hot water after a Frisbee throwing a trash can lid at Starscream's head, and just when Starscream thinks he has Marty, the DeLorean arrives and transforms in front of him, asking Marty to come with him to save the future. So that is a synopsis of our first issue. I, I'm going to throw it to you first, Cole. What do you think of our first issue and how everything starts out? I'm going to be perfectly honest. I was not sold on this series by the first issue. Okay. Um, I, I read it and I thought it was okay. But as we said at, at the beginning, I'm not the biggest Back to the Future fan. And mm -hmm. this issue is very, very heavily based in Back to the Future. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, the Transformers are in it and they're a big part of the plot. But it's really more of a Back to the Future comic featuring the Transformers than it is a Transformers comic featuring Back to the Future. I feel you there. I really do. Because, you know, as we go further into the series, it's well, clearly the setting is Hill Valley, pretty much. I mean, that's pretty much what we're going to get throughout the, these four issues. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely feels like the Transformers are just kind of they're they're here now. Granted, they're a big portion as to why things have changed, which uh, they're they're the big reason as to why things have changed. And we'll kind of talk about that as we go. Right. Um, let me ask you a question now. Prime talks about how and this is just something that bugged me when I was listening or when I was reading it. Prime talks about how he wants to keep humanity from knowing that they're there, which I understand. Do this. Do the Decepticons care about doing that as well? Because I noticed that the only reason I'm asking when there's that confrontation between Bumblebee, Ravage and Rumble. Uh, I think Ravage turns into a tape and gets run over. And I was like, why do they even care if about humanity? I mean, you can tell they're trying to kind of be secretive. But do you have any thoughts about that at all? I do. This is more of an IDW affectation than anything okay. else. In the IDW comics, at least originally, back when, before there was a recent reboot where they went back to Cybertron and restarted the series. But in the original IDW comics, when they were on Earth, both the Autobots and the Decepticons were kind of playing it very close to the chest. They are trying to infiltrate and have their war in secret so that they don't either involve or draw the ire of of humanity, of the, sure. the dominant species on the planet that they're on. Mm -hmm. And that's that goes back to the, the tagline of the original toy line, Robots in Disguise. They really played with that idea quite a bit in the IDW comics. So when I read that coming from Prime, I was like, oh, okay. They're going with the idea that they don't want they're an infiltrative race. They don't want to be out in the open about their uh, their war. Okay, that makes sense. I I, I immediately saw where like uh, both Rumble and Ravage changed into tapes, and I was like, uh, and these are cassette tapes, ladies and gentlemen. Immediately like transformed so they couldn't be seen or figured out who they were, which uh, you know confused me at first. But that of course gives Rumble the advantage here as we go forward into issue two, kind of set forth these changes that occur. But um, I will say, right 
off of this first issue, right at the beginning, Marty has his flaws, but I, I, I when you compare this character to the movie character, this Marty is a hothead. Like, this guy will go off and just do anything that he believes. It's almost like he's looking for a confrontation sometimes. The Starscream incident, where he's, you know, he's about to be put to work and Starscream's there and he grabs the trash can and he throws it at Star. I'm like, what do you expect is going to happen here? Right. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I've, I only have knowledge of the first movie, but it didn't seem entirely in character for Marty McFly to do that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. I mean, there is a whole subplot in two and three where he kind of learns to not be as antagonized so much. So as obviously he hasn't, he was never like this in the first movie. I don't recall him being like this in the first movie at all. This takes place right after the first movie, supposedly this comic. I was like, this doesn't fit the character in my opinion. It just seemed like he was making a stupid move. I'm like, dude, that's a giant robot. What chance do you even think you have uh, throwing a Frisbee at his face, a trash can lit at his face? Uh, The Frisbee thing, by the way, shows up in two and three. Uh, So, uh, well, I should say three, actually. But uh, so that's another reference. Just pointing this out. This is my last little note. When Gigawatt shows up and I'm pronouncing it Gigawatt, which I would think that a lot of people who are have, are familiar with the Back to the Future franchise are probably trying to figure out why am I not pronouncing it as Gigawatt? Everybody hold hands as we cross the pronunciation bridge. Now, this is why we have an editing process. So doing a little research kind of clarify things because I want to make sure that I get this right. (laughs) So I went online and I found a post that discussed the pronunciation of G-I-G-A-W-A-T-T. Now, most people, when they see that, they're going to think that it is pronounced gigawatt. However, merriamwebster.com has the phonetic spelling both ways. So, G-I-G-A-W-A-T-T can be pronounced either gigawatt or gigawatt. So, there you go. Let's get back to the show. Gigawatt shows up, knocks Starscream over. Starscream lands in a big pile. Well, actually, he lands in a building of Jones... What is it called? Jones Fertilizer. So, manure. I hate manure. (laughs) Uh, How do you feel that the Transformers are being portrayed in this first issue? Do you feel it's kind of faithful or what do you think? The only Transformers we really see for more than just a cameo are Bumblebee, Ravage, and Rumble. And all of them act like themselves. I mean, we we see Megatron and Soundwave for a hot minute. Yeah, it's like real quick. And then the new character, Gigawatt, shows up at the very end. All he does is knock Starscream over and say, you have to help me save the the timeline. Just a little side note, but it's something that I find interesting. If you look at the DeLorean, the car that Gigawatt turns into, it's missing the DMC brand. It doesn't Uh have the DMC logo on its front because Hasbro couldn't get the license from the owners of the DeLorean to actually put the brand on there. Either they couldn't get it or they weren't weren't willing to spend enough money. Yeah. So it's missing that it's missing that brand, which I think is actually pretty funny. Uh, is there a, well, you know, they probably didn't put it on here in the first issue because of what's going to happen with, uh, Gigawatt's backstory, but you know how sometimes they have that instead of the hood emblem, we got either a, a Decepticon or Autobot insignia. It's, they don't have that on there either just because we need to, we, we find out why here in a little bit, but 
I don't know why I never thought of making the DeLorean a transform. Same thing with the Ecto-1. Which, like, uh, have you seen, wasn't there an Ecto-1 that transformed as well? I actually own that. Oh, that's beautiful. It is. It is fantastic. It is oh. a, a shameless remold of another toy that I have. I normally don't buy remolds, but it was the Ecto-1 and I had to have it. The The actual robot's name is Ectotron. Ectotron. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So the DeLorean Transformer explains his name is Gigawatt and he is from the future. Gigawatt is then attacked by Starscream. Uh, Marty hurls a random skateboard he found on the ground at Starscream, which transforms into a robot named Skills, socking Starscream <laughs> and knocking him back, giving him enough time for Marty and Skills to get into Gigawatt and head to 2015 to meet up with Rodimus Prime and the Resistance. Marty is surprised to learn that the Autobots know who he is, mainly because of his association with, with Doc Brown. Marty learns Doc traveled to 2015, right after they had parted ways at the end of the first film. But so did Rumble in his cassette form. Rumble tricks Doc into repairing him and making him believe they are friends. Then calling the 2015 version of Megatron, who is looks like crap, he has been beat to hell, calls the 2015 version of Megatron, who happens to be badly beaten after years of battles with the Autobots. When Megatron begins to malfunction, which I, I, I think that's what happens, it looks like he's about to like shoot Doc, but then he just explodes. Uh, when Megatron begins to malfunction, Rumble takes the DeLorean back to 1974, where he runs into Biff Tannen, enslaving him to stockpile Energon for 10 years. And then in 1984, Rumble heads to the Ark. Am I right there? Is that where they head? Yes. Uh, okay. they, they're, they're going towards the, uh, the ship that brought the Transformers to Earth, the Ark. To awaken only the Decepticons, giving Megatron his chance to kill Optimus Prime before he's even activated. And then Megatron kills the 1985 Rumble. Now, I, I put that out there because there's two Rumbles on the ship after Rumble goes and awakens all the Decepticons. So, But Megatron kills the future Rumble, basically, that time traveled and woke him up. Woke him up. We then learn Gigawatt is was actually, the backstory on Gigawatt is that he's a Decepticon who grew tired of Megatron's cruel way trans-scanned the DeLorean and escaped, attempting to go back to 1974, but instead traveled to 1985 and met Marty due to his flux capacitor being damaged. He took a straight shot from Megatron before he was able to time travel. <laughs> now they need Doc to repair it, but they have to find him first. And by the end of the issue, we learn Doc is developing a way to beat the Decepticons in 2015, rescuing Marty's parents, George and Lorraine McFly, from the Constructicons scrapper he actually is able to deactivate scrapper with this gun that he built there we go that's issue two i'll, I'll go ahead and throw my talking points out there and then i'll let you have the floor uh, again uh hothead marty bothers me that continues through this second issue it just doesn't feel right to me when, when you know a character as you know if you've watched these movies over and over and over you, you obviously grow to have an expectation i like what you said earlier about how you know idw's put their spin on things with the transformers I'm starting to wonder now if like maybe IDW did something with Marty uh, in, in the 
comics. I mean, I've read the first four. I own all of them, but I, I haven't read all of the whole series. So maybe there's something there that I'm missing. He never sits still to understand the situation. Like he just goes headlong into confrontation no matter what, which is it just doesn't feel like what what he should be doing. Now, I'm going to throw it to you real quick because I got a question. I need you to help me out with some Transformers history here. Was Megatron on the arc as well? Yes. And how did we go from Cybertron and these two fighting each other to them like being on the arc and being deactivated? Okay, so this is how it happened in the original 1984 cartoon. Megatron and Optimus with their respective Decepticon and Autobot forces are uh, in the middle of a battle as... The Autobots are trying to leave Cybertron. They've decided that the best way to win the war is to, like, they're losing. They're losing badly. And they're just like, we need to get out of here and regroup. Well, Megatron leads a small group of Decepticons onto their ship as it's taking off. Battle ensues, they crash into Earth and are deactivated. And they end up staying, they end up staying deactivated on Earth for like... It's a long time. 10,000 years, something like that. Yeah. Until their computer, Teletran 1, rebuilds them and wakes them up. Okay. So what happens here is Rumble gets to them before Teletran 1 wakes them up, just wakes up the Decepticons, and the Decepticons take out the Autobots, and everybody everybody on the, the villainous side is happy. So, yeah, it was weird because you're going through the panels, and you see, like, both uh, Megatron and Optimus Prime are, like, completely— their legs are gone, and they're just kind of hanging there like it's an assembly line or something. Um, yeah. And I was like, man, that's, that's really, really strange. Also, answer me this. Are there, like, traditionally, or, or, or as far as I know in, in regards to the IDW comics, um, are there any Decepticons that are human sympathizers? Because uh, we, we see Gigawatt, who is, if you're serving under Megatron, you're going to get tired of his sh- at some point (laughs) i would assume and gigawatt kind of does but he also feels something for the uh for for humanity because he's watching i think they bring in a couple people who aren't meeting their quota on the energon or something and i'm and megatron's just like whoop and just kills him right there in front of gigawatt and gigawatt's like man the war is over dude there's no reason to go and kill the people that are working for you have there other have there been other decepticons that are kind of sympathetic towards humanity that you're aware of? There are a few. There's uh, one is the biggest example of a Decepticon turncoat in the franchise, and that's Jetfire. Jetfire and Starscream were best friends and scientists together, and then time passes. They both end up as Decepticons because they were there at the beginning of the movement. Jetfire gets knocked out of commission for a while. When he comes back, the Decepticons are evil, and he says, well, I'm not evil, so he switches sides to the Autobots. In the comics, one of the Seekers, one of Starscream's lieutenants, uh, Thundercracker, actually becomes exactly what you said. He becomes a human sympathizer, grows a love for organic life, ends up with a little dog, starts <laughs> writing screenplays. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, it's actually, it's really cool. It's a very deep and involved storyline about how this guy who, even in the 84 cartoon, was kind of depicted as soft-hearted, uh-huh. as far as Decepticons go, kind of leans into that and becomes uh, a sympathetic character. Um, well, but other than that, I mean, Decepticons are Decepticons. They're all about crushing and destroying and conquering you know in any army you're going to get somebody who's going to probably sympathize with the other side or uh or probably regret serving or the maniac that's going around shooting their enemy just because they can right uh, so uh the gun that doc has is very reminiscent of a gun that shows up in the third film 
there's right at the beginning there is doc shows up with this huge long rifle he is able to shoot from a great distance a rope uh with the scope you know it's very anachronistic i think is the word where it looks it doesn't belong because this is in the 1880s and he he's able to like he has this huge telescoping scope on there and a huge long rifle that's what it reminds me of so that rifle is like straight out feels like it's from back to the future three very reminiscent of it but uh anyway floor is yours sir what do you think of the second issue you know the second issue started to i started to like it a little more i started to get more involved in the storyline I liked the idea of playing with the time travel and one Decepticon who's normally complete nobody. I mean, Ravage turns in or Rumble turns into a freaking cassette tape. He's one of <laughs> he's one of the like third in commands lackeys. He's not even yeah. the most important of the lackeys. Like he's just he's just some dude. <laughs> and he ends up being this incredibly important figure in the Decepticons victory. I really liked that. I liked the idea of the Autobots, you know, because we see in the 2015, as things had normally progressed, the Decepticons were going to lose, like flat out. Megatron was on his last legs. And so it took them going back in time and messing with history to ruin that chance for the Autobots to win. Yeah. Other than that... It's it was a pretty quickly paced comic. I liked that it didn't overstay its welcome. Mm-hmm. It, there was always move, always forward motion, which is a problem that plagues IDW's Transformers comics. They can get a little talky. Oh, really? OK. Yeah. All so right. um, all in all, I really enjoyed issue two. Did you recognize the name of the writer at all? Caven? No. Kevin? OK. All right. No, I didn't know I if don't. he was known for writing Transformers comics at all. Um, this may this may very well be his first thing that I've ever read. Let's take a look real quick looks like on my end i've got a wiki up it looks like he works on doctor who and star wars comics okay respect i like it the only Um, transformers thing he's done is transformers back to the future yeah i'm not seeing anything for back to the future other than that as well has he done anything for he i don't think he's done anything for the big two has he doesn't look like it yeah i don't see anything either looks like he's just an indie guy He's definitely a good writer. He's, he's I'm not. Uh, oh, what seeing? oh, he's actually going to be doing. He is already doing. Wow. The Star Wars, the High Republic comic. Oh, he's got a lot of Skylanders stuff, too. Is he? Oh, those are books. OK, I was like, wait a second. Skylanders, man, the Skylanders. Yeah, well, that's about right. 2013, 2014. Yeah. Remember <laughs> Skylanders? No one else does. <laughs> I've got like, uh, I want to say it was like two years ago. I went and found somebody was selling some stuff online locally. Uh, and I was like, oh, my gosh, my son's going to love this. I mean, I legit picked up this box full of them. I listed them probably about a year ago because cl- my son just no, no, no interest now. So the, uh, instead of them collecting dust, it's like, I'll get rid of them. I'll just, uh, you know, I'll ask for half of what I paid for them. Nobody bit. Nope. Nope. Ah, Skylanders. As a Skylanders aficionado, like I'm a big fan. I think they're really cool looking toys. Yeah, they, they are, are worthless. That's <laughs> sad, too. I mean, it's such a cool concept. Like a while back, I was like, holy crap. What they need to do is they need to develop a game 
that uses the muscle brand. I don't know if you remember a little muscle figure. Oh, yeah. I remember I like, muscle. Man, just do it Skylander style. And I thought all sorts of properties would be doing that. Nope. It was a Skylanders and then Disney Infinity and maybe, what was it, Lego Masters or something? Whatever Lego. that was. Lego, Lego. did one. Lego yeah. Dimensions. Lego Dimensions. That's what it was. Uh, which, by the way, featured a Back to the Future and Doctor Who couple of sets, if I remember correctly. I want to ask you, what do you think of skills here? I mean, look, I, one of the things that I've said, if you hear me talking about crossovers, which I have been a lot here lately, because we got I, coming up, we have Alexis and I talked about Transform or not Transformers, but uh, Power Rangers Nightmare on Elm Street. OK, that happened. Uh, wasn't in print form, but it's out there on the Internet. and It's actually pretty good. But one of the things that I said was that when you get properties that tr- uh, cross over with each other, usually the first thing that they want to establish is that each property has to get their shit in. So, like, you know, at some point, the, the Transformers are going to make a reference to something that's very, you know, uh, that uh, their fans are going to recognize. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Back to the Future. In this comic, uh, there's going to be something that happens that uh, references the movie or something that's happened in a movie. I've, I've already talked about a couple of them. The skateboard's the other thing. Marty finds the skateboard, picks it up, and then takes off with it. And here it is, this uh, resistance fighter. I don't know if he's... I don't think he's from 2015. I think he's from 85. So it's skills. This little... I don't know what he's doing there. I assume he's doing some type of recon or something in the form of a skateboard. And skills, I assume, is never... Is he a Transformer that you has been around before? No, he's brand new for this crossover. And uh, I am going to be totally honest. Skills is lame. <laughs> he doesn't do a whole lot, man, other than he gets the stuff in. Because ter- he gets the skateboard in. Uh, which is that signature Marty McFly. And then later on down the road, we're going to get a hoverboard signature Marty McFly signature back to the future. Um, So that's pretty much all he's there to do. Doesn't do anything other than I don't I'm sure that he I know he fires off a couple shots, but I mean, the biggest contact that he had with a a Decepticon was when Marty picked him up and swung him at Starscream or whoever it was that was coming after or Gigawatt. I can't remember which one. There's a reference to the movie stars or Megatron blasts Gigawatt and says, oh, you still function, which is a line from the Transformers animated movie. (laughs) Um, So I kind of I kind of was like, I see what you did there for that. Other than that, it was just sort of a solid issue. Uh, I liked the rising stakes. You know, I liked seeing exactly how bad things are. Mm -hmm. And that leads into the question of, well, obviously they're going to fix this. It's not an ongoing series. There's four issues. How are they going to fix this? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, We get Marnie McFly's parents. Uh, We get Biff Tannen's in this uh, right now. Doc Brown's there. Marty McFly's there. How are they going to get this resolved? Uh, I will tell you, we get into issue three. Boy, they ramp it up for me. I'm curious as to what you think about it. But one thing that really annoyed me about this series, and it's, it's an overall series thing, issue three was delayed like six months. Oh, And so I had forgotten everything from issue two. By the time I got my hands on issue three, I had to go and find my copy and reread it. If you can wait for the trade, a lot of people were getting this issue by issue just because, hey, you know, these are two properties that I really, really like. Yeah, when it gets delayed like that, December 23rd to March 17th. So you're not far off there. That's what, four months? It sucks when you have to sit there and wait that long. All right, issue three. 
So the Constructicons are, are interrogating Biff to discover what happened to Scrapper. So they come across Scrapper's body and are like, what happened here? Biff, you better tell us everything. You know, good son of a gun. As they grow tired of Tannen's ignorance, Bone Crusher is sent to kill him, but he is rescued by Doc and his Decepticon defeating gun. The Alpha Wave Ionic Nullifier. Doc says he needs to get to a communications tower to get a message to the Autobots. Doc takes his group into the comm tower and gives the gun to George, but Biff, the snake that he is, takes it soon after, assuring him he is on their side. And when Doc gets the message transmitting, Biff uses his gun to deactivate it. Fortunately, the message reaches Rodimus, Bumblebee, Skills, and Gigawatt, but when they make it to Hill Valley, they are just in time for the execution of Doc and Marty's parents. Biff, who is now in an exosuit, that was his reward, apparently, is getting ready to pull the trigger and, and kill Doc. While hiding, Marty runs off, and I put this in capital letters, again, grabs a pipe and intervenes, stopping Biff. When they, uh, the rest of the Autobots see this, they begin to engage as well. Uh, when Biff takes aim at Gigawatt with the special gun that Doc, Alpha Wave Ionic Nullifier, Einstein distracts him, knocking the gun free. Skills scans a hover sled and then becomes a hoverboard, while Marty hops on it and fries the other Constructicons with the gun. When Rodimus knocks out Starscream, the group believe they may have a chance to beat the Decepticons. That is, until the ground begins to shake and the Hill Valley clock tower begins to transform into a Decepticon. This is like Metroplex almost. Uh, not Maybe not as big, but I mean, it's, it's huge. Uh, the clock tower just starts transforming and now our heroes are in a jam. So that is issue three. Constructicons, man. I mean, it was good to see them here. I wanted to see them combine, though. That right. was what I wanted to see. Yeah, that's that feels like a missed opportunity. But they also probably didn't want to have Devastator with the big reveal of Watchtower at the end. Watchtower <laughs> yeah. is the name of the Decepticon uh, clock tower. Uh, and plus, of course, Scrapper's out. So I don't know. What is he, the leg or the arm or any idea? Scrapper is a leg. Yes, he's a leg. Okay, so, well, we, we kind of figure that mm, probably Devastator could hop around. It would work. <laughs> Just to see him combine. Come on. 2015 Biff, which, you know, he's he, he's this underlord for uh, the Decepticons who's kind of driving driving the, the slave labor force. And then, of course, when the Constructicons get mad at him, he feigns that he's going to turn and and uh, help out Doc Brown and them. But just to kind of put this out there, 2015 Biff in the IDW comic looks way younger than 2015 Biff in the films. Einstein, the dog, actually doing something was actually great. I mm -hmm. loved seeing that. He doesn't do anything in the films at all, from what I can tell, other than being the first time traveler the world gets to see. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. But other than that, he gets out. He looks cute. Uh, and you, you just want to, you know, rub him behind his ears there. But he actually, Einstein is definitely on point in this, giving the Autobots and, and Doc Brown their chance to win the day so that was really cool i did almost yell at marty again 
at my comic when he was running again after the Autobots are like, dude, just wait, we we could figure. And yeah, and there goes Marty again, off to go run into danger. And but this time, I mean, <laughs> he actually contributes by hitting Biff's uh, weapon out of his hand, so he can't kill Doc or his parents. So I, I'll I'll give him his courage is admirable there. Now Biff in his mech suit, Biff gets knocked backwards. Can't remember who hits him, but when he falls back, he lands in this big like pile of discarded parts, and beside it, it's a sign that says waste. So <laughs> instead of it being manure, he lands in a waste pile, uh, an Autobot or excuse me, a Transformer waste pile, which is hilarious. And then of course we get the skills going to from skateboard to hoverboard. You know, I, I it was cool to at least get the hoverboard in there. I didn't understand why they didn't have that in there in the first place, but then I realized. You know, this is 1985 that he's in, so he's only able to kind of like imitate whatever vehicles are around that time. Then when he gets to 2015, they got these hover sleds running around. So there you go. Okay, turns into the hoverboard. And yes, Watchtower was awesome. For me, okay, I'm reading this thing. Look, I recently read Transformers Star Trek. I don't know if you had a chance to. I have not. Okay. There's a very surprising thing that happens in there that feels very similar to this, but I called it. This one, I didn't see happening. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't expecting the watchtower to transform at all. So, or excuse me, the clock tower to transform at all. Hey, we got it. So I was happy. I liked it. First of all, get this out of the way. Another little uh, tidbit of a reference. Biff's uh, suit that he gets from the Decepticons is an exosuit there from the 1986 movie. Spike Whitwicky and his son Daniel have them, okay. but now apparently the Decepticons have them in this future and give them to Bi- give one to Biff. Now, why the Decepticons who hate organics would have a weapon designed for an organic, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, they didn't pay me to write the comic. Secondly, really enjoyed the reveal at the end. Really enjoyed the fact that they had Rodimus Prime as the leader of the Autobots. Yeah, buddy. But how did he become Rodimus Prime? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I know I, I know enough to be dangerous with the Transformers. I understand there has to be a matrix of leadership transference. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. To become a Prime in the original G1 continuity, you have to have the matrix of leadership, which Optimus Prime had when... Megatron killed him. And I was going to say, I mean, Megatron wakes up and he's like blasting people yeah. uh, that are not even activated. I, I mean, I was surprised that Rodimus even got out. I, I, I was like, I don't even understand how uh, Megatron just didn't go down and kill everybody that was not activated. But I think they do a, a bit of an explanation in there as to, like, obviously a few of them were able to escape after some, I don't know, after something happened there in the arc. But, but yeah, it's a good point. I'm right there with you. Key info here. Hot Rod wasn't on the arc. Oh, okay. Hot Rod was still on Cybertron when the when Optimus Prime and his Autobots left for Earth. Um, I mean, presumably. Hot Rod doesn't show up ever until the 1986 movie, so he could have been, you know, at an arcade somewhere. I don't know. Did they mention that in this book at all? No. Okay, good. All right. Um, I have a, no, I was, you didn't miss I a just, reference or anything. I assumed he was on the arc with them, and I was like, <clears throat> well, they must have got out somehow. So um, no, Now, okay. Bumblebee surviving, I don't, I don't get how that works, because he's Bumblebee. The only thing I could think is Megatron didn't think he was a threat. Possibly. I mean, Megatron, I have learned... 
he is the reason for his own downfall most of the time. Yes, that's true. It's not like Megatron to just not kill somebody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We see that in this book. He he is a ruthless killer, which no compunction for life whatsoever. Anything else? Just that the idea of a scrappy Autobot resistance fighting against overwhelming Decepticon forces is kind of my jam. (laughs) Um, I really, really like the idea. I actually, not to tip my hand here too much, but I actually wrote a pitch, um, a spec script, with the intention of submitting it to Hasbro for a Transformers animated series about a scrappy group of Autobots led by Rodimus Prime fighting against overwhelming Decepticon Empire that's taken over the galaxy. Oh, that'd be awesome. I thought it was a really cool idea, and then I ended up losing the what I had worked on in a computer format, and yada, oh, yada, no, yada. No. Oh, that's horrible. I that's could rewrite horrible. it, but it would never be as good as the original. That sucks, man. I will say that, uh, one other thing, the as soon, as soon as Doc handed that gun off to George, I was like, I know Biff's going to get his hands on this thing. I knew that that was going to happen, and sure enough, yeah. it did. Yeah. Very predictable. Um, you can't trust a tannin, which this is issue three. Wait till we get to issue four, uh, because right. some strange stuff happens. Very strange stuff. But, all right, issue four, our conclusion here to Transformers Back to the Future. As the Autobots try to basically stay alive from uh, Watchtower unloading uh, all of its weaponry down onto the Hill Valley Square there, Doc and Marty attempt to fix the flux capacitor in Gigawatt. Uh, as the battle wages on, Bumblebee is blasted, and I mean just obliterated. Yeah, he done. he's done, though. He is done, done in rings. Yes, sir. When Doc and Marty are targeted, Gigawatt takes robot form and steps in front of the blast. Damage, Gigawatt may still be able to make the, ju- the time jump, but he's going to need some help to reach 88 miles per hour. So in order to do that... Skills gets Doc to jump on his, his his hoverboard form, and they push the DeLorean up to speed just as Rodimus gets stomped on. And I mean, curb stomping doesn't even cover it. I mean, it's no, just like... He's- Ooh. <laughs> He's dust. <laughs> Doc is unable to make it on board. Marty and Gigawatt are transported through time, leaving Doc and Skills behind. All right, so in the past. So the whole point of getting the flux capacitor fixed was so that they Gigawatt could make a jump to the correct time period. Now they've made it. They've, they, they've made it to the past. Marty and Gigawatt find Rumble, who's got the original DeLorean time machine. Uh, find Rumble, Biff, and the other DeLorean before they make it to the Ark to awaken the other Decepticons. Attacking Rumble, their attempt to shoot them with the special gun that Doc created is almost lost. That is until Biff picks it up and fires on Rumble. Yes, Biff, way to go, man. Fires on Rumble. Desperate and damaged, Rumble is able to find the Ark and tries to enact his plan, but is greeted by Optimus Prime and the Autobots, who have already been awakened by Marty and Gigawatt. Trying to escape, Rumble looks up from the chasm he uh, that he is trying to ascend, only to be greeted by a pile of falling Energon cubes. Can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. So... I understand Energon is what helps the it helps power the Autobots. Is that right? Yes. Uh, Energon is basically your your catch all energy source of uh, food, power. Sometimes like there's special types of Energon that can supercharge a transformer. But in general, it's like it's their main energy source. Okay, so in the IDW series, in order to ingest or or to absorb this Energon, do they hook tubes up to it, or how does that work? Man, as far (laughs) as going from cube form to something they can ingest, the cubes keep it stable so that it doesn't explode. 
All right. But like they drink it, they uh, hook up tubes. There's all sorts of different ways that they can ingest Energon. Okay. For some um, reason, I was thinking I saw a, a Transformer holding Energon and it just dissipating and them like absorbing that Energon. But I assume there is, what you're saying though is there is some kind of transferring process that has to happen. Yes. Um, you might be thinking of something that would have happened in the original cartoon. Probably. Which that does sound familiar to me. Okay. But I mean, it, it was a toy commercial. What do you expect? <laughs> well, and then I was sitting there thinking, like, okay, if that happens, they just dropped like I don't know how many metric tons of energon on top of Rumble. Uh, so he obviously can't just ingest all this or have it dissipate and be sucked into his form, and then him come out of there like super Rumble or whatever. Yeah, but he's still Rumble. So I mean, what's he gonna do? Sneeze at him? <laughs> Makes the ground shake, man. Uh... Oh no. <laughs> I'm mildly inconvenienced. <laughs> As Gigawatt, who's been injured, all right, he just barely is able to make this trip through time. He appears to die. Now, here's where I tried my best to write out what happened, but, I mean, I had to read it like three or four times just to make sure I understood, had some kind of understanding, let alone write it out. But as Gigawatt appears to die, Optimus tells Marty to get the original DeLorean back to Doc Brown in 2015. So we got to get this DeLorean back to Doc Brown. Marty heads to 2015 and he meets up with Doc, follows Doc to his lab where he finds Gigawatt alive and the rest of the Transformers waiting for him. Uh, they explain Marty needs now to get back to 1985. So he hops aboard Gigawatt, leaving Doc in his time machine and heads back to the past. The closing of the book unfolds similar to the events of the first movie, where Marty is shown his new truck sitting in the garage. So as he hops into the truck and drives off, we see that in the middle of the front of the grill is a Decepticon symbol, followed by the words, the end question mark. So there we go. That is the conclusion of Transformers Back to the Future. Well, I mean, one nitpicky thing that stands out to me. So they go back to 1984 and Rumble and Gigawatt meet up. Rumble is like, oh, you're an Autobot. Wouldn't Gigawatt still be a Decepticon at this point? Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I, you know, I don't know if, like, I'm trying to think of when Gigawatt was created. It sounded like he was there since the arc, right? Right, yeah, it's it, in this continuity, in this storyline, it sounds like he's been with the Decepticons the whole time. It just stuck out to me that Rumble, like, immediately clocked him as an Autobot. He doesn't have an auto brand. He doesn't have any faction symbol on him at all. Rumble should think he's a Decepticon. At least for a minute. Yeah, no kidding. There was a couple times where I was like, I was picking things out too that just didn't feel right. I imagine it's got to be tough to try and write something like this to try and bring the two properties together, you know, make both... Uh, both fan bases happy, but there are a couple glaring things that kind of stick out, just like what you're talking about there. That you don't even have to be a hardcore fan to notice what you're noticing there. <laughs> you just have to be somebody that was functioning when you're reading the story and paying attention. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. Other than that, I think that the fourth issue was fine. Okay. I don't think it was great. I was kind of let down by the way that everything just sort of works out in the end. I'm going to say something here and I want to preface it by saying I love Bill and Ted. The Bill and Ted movies, all three of them are great movies. I really enjoy them. I think that they're very fun and they're uh, very funny and well worth watching. 
the whole, aha, we came back in time before that and woke up the Autobots first is very Bill and Ted. Oh, yes, absolutely. It is. I mean, it's it's straight up Ted. We have to remember to leave the keys right here so that we can pick them up later. <laughs> yeah, it, it just is. And that's again, I've only seen the first Back to the Future, so I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but it just doesn't seem to jive with the way time travel works in Back to the Future. I mean, Back to the Future 2, there's a big portion of that movie where Marty heads back to 1955 and you see him, uh, you know, interacting with events that happened in the first movie, which is pretty neat. So it's kind of like if you looked at the Bill and Ted, what you're talking about, that specific instant where you you drop the keys, um, which that happens, doesn't it? Do, do they show where they drop the keys or do they just say, no, you got to remember? And then they it just happens. They don't well, show they, it, do they, they say you got to remember to put the keys here later so that we can get them now. And then they look and the keys are there. OK, so in Back to the Future 2, that whole sequence would be showing Marty going back in time and actually dropping the keys there. Like I said, fast and loose with time travel. You can really start to pick some things out. I was trying to figure out how are they going to beat Rumble here? What are they going to do with him? How are they going to stop him? But, and you know, when I was watching those panels unfold where Rumble's like in the arc, I'm like, oh, crap, what are they going to do now? And then I was like, oh, the Autobots are already awake. Yes. So I was cheering. I, I, I enjoyed that. I like the fact that they thought of that as the last line of defense. We could have the Autobots just ready to go on the arc. As far as my thoughts on the series as a whole, I would give it, if I had to rank it on a scale of one to 10, I would give it a fine out of 10. Okay. All it right. did not flip my Cheerios bowl on my head and ruin my day, but it also didn't wow me. It was fine. Do you think there's a way of making it more Transformers centric? Because you mentioned how it just felt like the Transformers in the in the Back to the Future universe. Is there? There's probably a story there where you could flip that around. I would love to see like you know Doc and Marty somehow end up on Cybertron or something, mm-hmm. and it, they went back in time. Holy crap, we went back ten thousand years, and it's or they end up on Cybertron somehow, mm-hmm. and then there's time travel then, and they see like the origins of the Transformers or something along those lines. I think there's a story to be told there. I am not the one to tell it. <laughs> Because, as I've said several times, I know next to nothing about Back to the Future. Like, I know who Marty McFly and Doc Brown are. I know who Biff Tannen is. But beyond that little bit of knowledge, like, I would just, I would be writing a Transformers story. And then there's these humans here. And they're (laughs) cool, I guess. They've got a time machine that does stuff. It's a cool car. One of the problems of these crossovers, and it's something that IDW has managed to dodge pretty consistently. And this is the first time that it really like they really fell into the trap is Mm -hmm. you do a big crossover. You're going to focus on one side or the other. They did a Transformers Terminator crossover, which was pretty good. They gave each side an equal equal footing. There's the Transformers My Little Pony crossover that's extremely good because it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's just goofy little comics having fun with the idea. That's been on here, right? You got you and Mark. Yeah, um, okay. I did yeah. that with uh, Mark and Alexis. Um, and then there was the Ghostbusters crossover. Now, the Ghostbusters crossover with Transformers, that one leans more into the territory that this one does where it's very Ghostbusters centric but as a huge fan of Ghostbusters I didn't have a problem with that yeah okay 
right. it was it was the Transformers showing up in a Ghostbusters story, and then Starscream's ghost is there, and they're doing oh. wacky stuff with Starscream's oh. ghost. Nice. Yeah, it was actually it was pretty cool. Like it's worth che- it's worth tracking down if you're a fan of either property. And the point I'm trying to make here, in my usual long-winded fashion, is that there's a trap that that writers fall into, and it's almost inescapable where you don't give both sides of a story equal footing. And I think that this story really heavily expects you to be invested in the Back to the Future universe and then, hey, the Transformers show up. That being said, I don't know that it would work the other way around. I don't know how you would make Marty and Doc a factor in a Transformers-centric story. Yeah, to make them important and something that matters in the universe, you're right. It would be it would be tough. I mean, I was just sitting here thinking, like the clock tower transforming. If you weren't a back to the if you never watched any of the films, you would have no idea what that is. Like the how like just awe inspiring it is to see the clock tower transform into this transformer. No, and everybody else would just been like, what's this building doing? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. The having watched the first movie, the clock tower is an iconic part of that movie. Yes, it's a very important plot point. So mm-hmm. seeing the clock tower transform is a callback to that movie, and it makes if you've seen that movie, it makes sense. That's another tough sell for something like this. You know, you you say, hey, do you want to do a Transformers Back to the Future comic? If you're a fan of those properties, you're like, yeah, you know, bring it on. I can't wait to do it. But imagine being the guy who has to sit there and think, okay, I I need to sell this comic. Who am I going to sell it to? The only people that probably are going to have anything to do with this comic are going to be a fan of either property or both. Mm -hmm. It's going to be tough to sell the people that have no idea. Could you imagine trying to give this to somebody that has no idea what's going on? (laughs) No, they don't know about Transformers. They don't know about Back to the Future. One of IDW's cornerstones is that element of fan service. They've got their mainline comics, like your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, your Transformers, your, um, they did run a Back to the Future for a while. And those are more general audiences to bring people into the property and show them, hey, this is kind of cool. Here's what we can do with these characters. And then you've got the crossovers. Like there was a crossover with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers that I heard was really good. I never read it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, There's all these Transformers crossovers that are really aimed at the fans who are already there. And they're saying, here's these two things that you like. Oh, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. Oh, you got peanut butter in my chocolate. They're not strictly for new fans. They're for people that are already established. Did you join us for Revolution? I I have vague memories of being on Revolution. I think you were um, there. But it was like a thousand years ago, and <laughs> life has happened since then. Yes, it we has. Spent, we spent six years la- We spent six years dealing with the last year. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean... That was I'm, a large crossover, and I was excited for it, but by the end, I was just, like, uh, exhausted. It just um, went on forever. Yeah, it was long. So, yeah, my, my thoughts on the final issue and the series overall... <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll nitpick something. Uh, Doc and Skills pushing a DeLorean to 88 miles per hour. <laughs> sure, guys. <laughs> I was like, I did have to read the ending, and I mentioned that already. I had to read the ending a few times just to make sure I understood what was going on. Uh, there's so much time travel in, like, I mean, honestly, the last few pages. Uh, we have 
guys are going back to 85, then 85 to 2015, then 2015 back to 85. And it's it can get a little disorienting. The other thing is, is like, okay, Biff as the Autobot mechanic. I've never thought I would read something where Biff has redeeming qualities because he is a total tool bag in every film, uh, except uh, at the very end of the first movie. He's since he got knocked out by George McFly. He's not as uh, he's not as much as a bully. He's obviously much more. You know, he he's the one that's kind of serving George McFly at that point. But it, when you watch the second movie and the events from the first movie unfold where you see, you know, the DeLorean at the end of the first movie, where we're going, we don't need roads, takes off, flies in the air. Now, in the second movie, there's just a tiny little bit extra where Biff comes running out and he's like trying to find Marty. He's like, Marty, I want to show you these matchbooks I got for my auto detailing because he's, you know, he's this real kind. He seems like this real kind hearted guy and he's got these matchbooks in his hands and he's just wanting to show Marty. And then he looks up and he sees the DeLorean fly off into the future and this scowl comes over his face. He's like, what the hell is going on? You immediately know that Biff has been, he looks like he's a nice guy. He's putting on this act like he's a nice guy, but you can tell he is the same Biff. And I was like, Biff, as an Autobot mechanic, this is not going to end well. Uh, granted, in this timeline or whatever we get in this book, Biff has been obviously he's been enslaved by a Decepticon for quite a while. He's got tired of the Decepticon's crap and took the Decepticon out. So maybe that makes sense. He's like, well, look, I'll help out these guys, which didn't fly right for me. Did you have anything? Did you have any thoughts on that? I think that it was it was twofold because I remembered I did remember that part. I remembered the part at the end of the first movie where he was kind of, oh, that's just Biff. He's our simple mechanic. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that and I was like, oh, hey, that's a that's a callback to that. But I think that also that and the scene at the end where Marty's driving off in his four by four and there's a Decepticon, a Deceptor brand on it. Yeah, I think those are those are basically backdoor pilots. You got a good um, point. Yes. Very good point. Hey, we might want to tell another story in this shared universe at some point. Let's leave ourselves some openings. We don't want to wrap it up in too neat of a bow where we can't do anything. But if we decide not to, it's still an ending that we can be satisfied with. Well, yeah. And as for my final thoughts on the series overall, I'm a fan of anything that uses time travel as a plot. Back to the Future is my favorite franchise. So I'm clearly biased and I'm a fan of the Transformers as well. I've enjoyed uh, watching, you know, I watched the cartoon when I was little. I went to the theaters and watched. uh, I chose Transformers, the movie over Howard the Duck. Yes, that's right. My aunt thought that I was crazy. Why don't I want to go watch Howard the Duck? I said, no, let me go watch Transformers. You know, I've enjoyed both franchises. So the book itself, I had a good time uh, aside from nitpicks and stuff like that that I had. Uh, It was there were enough events and enough things in here for me to go, Okay, that's interesting. I want to see how this continues to move forward. I didn't want it to go longer. I will tell you that much. Four issues for me was just enough. There's some stories you get into where it's like, let's wrap it up here. That I didn't get that feeling. It felt paced well enough for me to go, Okay, four issues is just fine. Don't need any more. I'm good. And that's kind of 
probably what they wanted to do too. And they're just like, let's not spend too much time in this universe, or re- people are really going to start to get upset with some of the things we're doing. Because <laughs> uh, it's it's tough to kind of walk that balance for both fan bases. And you've got two fan bases that are as rabid as Transformers fans and Back to the Future fans. Because speaking as a Transformers fan, I look around my my little internet community and I see people who are like willing to die on the hill of Rodimus Prime was the worst character ever. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> and people, people take this stuff seriously. And I know for a fact that the Back to the Future community is the same way. It's like these movies are an important, formative part of people's history. Bringing them together like this is kind of a gamble. You've got to try and please everybody. Walk out of it unscathed. You know, a writer like this who picks up this project has got to do uh, so. Kudos. I mean, I'll give. I'll definitely give kudos to Kevin Scott for for doing this. I mean, it it looks like he's cut his teeth doing quite a few things, though. Just looking at that history from the wiki, picking up a project doing a Doctor Who book or a Doctor Who comic. I want to talk about rabid fan bases? Oh yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> I mean, you need to be able to please some people there. Uh, And then let's not stop there. Let's talk about Star Wars. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Yeah, let's not. Let's not and say we did. (laughs) So, I mean, I think this guy has cut his teeth doing plenty of things where he's had to deal with a fan base that's pretty dedicated to the property that he's writing about. So kudos. He did, I think he did a good job for what he, uh, for what he has. And I really do hope they have a, uh, a sequel. Uh, I would like to see it. I, and my honest opinion, it would be cool to see them just kind of like what we were talking about swap where Marty McFly and doc Brown are more set pieces in the trans transformers universe. So, uh, we'll see how things see how things shake out. So, Cole, I want to thank you, man, for coming on here and discussing discussing with me Transformers: Back to the Future. Why don't you go ahead and plug some stuff? I know you're doing some things. Hey, it's plug time, and you all know what that means. This would be a good time to plug the sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Source Material, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two, M network to download Grammarly for free. I am doing some things. You can find me over on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash thefilmtwit, where I stream games and what have you. Uh, Right now I'm working my way through the uh, most recent DLC for the Avengers game, the War for Wakanda, uh, playing as Black Panther and really enjoying it. Uh, Black Panther, incidentally, voiced by Teal'c from Stargate SG-1. And if you didn't have that knowledge going into it, you would never be able to tell. He changes his voice so completely that I would swear to you it's a different guy. No kidding. But other than that, I'm available on Twitter at the film twit. I'm basically the film at the film twit in all the places that you would be able to find me. Uh, Instagram, where I review comic books every week. Twitter, Facebook at the film twit plays my page for my Twitch streaming. And uh, that's what I've got going on. 
I'll, I'm going to run down the schedule for what's happening. What's happening right here in this week of September 5th to September 11th. So from what I can see, September 5th, Sunday, Long Road to Ruin re-airs its coverage on the Hobbit series. And then it looks like TV Party Tonight is happening here on the 6th of September. Monsters at Work and Star Wars The Bad Batch, apparently. I don't know if that's happening at uh, both at the same time or what. I figured Bad Batch would get its own show. But uh, hey, here you go. Monsters at Work and Star Wars The Bad Batch is happening. Uh, And then on the 7th, Damn You Hollywood is going to be talking about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That is right. Looks like AEW All Out will be uh, covered on TV Party tonight. And then I think Mark has Metal Hammer of Dune, Iron Maiden, Senjutsu. Iron Maiden, Senjutsu is happening. And then on the 10th of September, Source Material is releasing their discussion. That's That was on this one. It's me and Chris Armstrong. We talked about Malignant Man by James Wan. And I will tell you that it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the movie Malignant by James Wan. So <laughs> just be ready for that. Malignant Man is completely completely separate. And then on the 11th, which is Saturday on trial, 13 hours, the secret soldiers of Benghazi is being re-aired. So there you go. That is the schedule for the Rattlich and broadcasting network for September 5th through the 11th. So if you want to follow me, you can do so at Stiznarki on, on Twitter. Uh, I do a show called the unspoken issues podcast. It's 90s centric. We hop into nineties comics. We just recently, speaking of transformers, we released, our discussion of the first six issues of Transformers Generation 2, uh, which I think dropped in 93. The second episode is going to be uh, showcasing the last six issues of that series. So I'll ask you, did you ever read any of Generation 2 there, Cole? I did not. Um, I did not really get into Transformers myself. I had some of the toys when I was a kid, but I got in hardcore during Beast Wars. Okay, and that is the same sentiment shared by, uh, I think, Derry Waite that said that he was a big fan of Beast Wars. And this, I think, occurs prior to Beast Wars happening? I could yes. be wrong. Okay. All right. I got to learn a lot about Transformer DNA. That's right. Maybe not a whole lot, but it's a, it's a thing. It is a thing. Anyway, you can check that out. If you like Transformers, that's in the archives. I guarantee it. So I think that's it. That's all, that's all I'm going to plug. Ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you being here for our discussion of Transformers Back to the Future. For Cole Marantet, I'm Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you next time. Have a good one. Uh, bye-bye. Thank you all for joining us. Make sure to give that Rattlich in Broadcasting Facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts we have to offer. We are at home on Spreaker, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and recently we have hit the air on Spotify. Find your favorite podcast platform and type in R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H to subscribe for some great content. If you enjoyed this show, please feel free to share and spread the word. And as always, we appreciate any feedback and look forward to entertaining you again soon.